name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to join me in the 12th chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 12. Next week we uh, begin a study um, that we're calling Theology on Mission and looking at several aspects of theology in Scripture and how it, it, it speaks to our lives in a real and practical way and how it stirs our hearts to be on mission, to make disciples and to enter into the lives of others so that we can help point them to, to Christ. Uh, but we, we, we had a week in between uh, when we finished our, our series last week that we were calling Story and then this week's or next week's uh, study. And so as the elders and I were, were talking a little bit about it, we, we realized that there was a subject that we hadn't touched on for a while. It's every pastor's favorite subject to talk about, and it's the topic of money. That was most pastors... Most pastors feel a bit strange preaching on the topic of money because there's whether whether you're thinking it or not. There's this like thought in the back of our minds, like I hope that they're not thinking we're just like lobbying for a raise or something. <laughs> and and you know what the reality is is that the the Bible teaches and talks so much about money. For us to not talk about it some, it would be doing a disservice to the Word of God, ignoring huge chunks of Scripture that are are imperative to the Christian life. And one of the great things. Um, about this church is this church has always been a generous church. In fact, as I talk to other ch uh, leader, church leaders in the community, even people who are unchurched, uh, the, the stories of uh, Brown Corner's generosity is um, it, it's well known. And so as I, as I speak to you this morning, I realize that um, I'm speaking to many people who are doing very well in this regard. I've been very faithful in their giving and in their view of their finances. Uh, but like Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, Brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, and then he adds this, as you are doing, do this even more. He noted that the Thessalonians were doing well in living for and pleasing God, and he called them to continue to grow in that. And so that's my heart this morning as we look at this parable of, of Jesus and we, we look at this, uh, the, the title of today's message is being rich toward God, rich toward God. In Luke chapter 12, we come across a story that we find beginning in verse 13. And it tells us this, someone from the crowd said to him, to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who apportioned me a judge or an arbiter over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The Word of God gives us a very robust theology of possessions. Jesus frequently spoke about money. The Bible touches on our things and and on our finances um, over and over and over again. In fact, out of Jesus' 39 parables, 11 of them were about money. He, He wasn't he, he didn't avoid the topic. He wasn't skittish about the topic, um, like, like many of us as pastors are these days. He would tackle it head on because he knew that one's view of money said a great deal about where their heart was. Well, this story begins with a guy that comes to Jesus, and he's upset. He is not getting what he deemed his fair share of the inheritance. Probably, probably, this is the, the younger brother here. And as in so many cases in, in that culture, the older brother got the lion's share of the inheritance. And so he's upset. And what appears at the outset a case of, of fairness, Jesus realizes that there's something deeper here in this man's heart. And it's greed. Jesus sees through this seeming desire for this man's call for Jesus to be an arbiter in this case and to, to help help remedy and fix the situation. And he says, listen, um, there's something deeper here. For me, growing up, it had to do with baseball, everything baseball. I, I loved uh, playing baseball and getting the latest gear if I could. And uh, even more than, than the game, uh, I, I loved collecting baseball cards and anytime I could get my, my hands on uh, some, some new uh, exclusive release of cards, and I would collect and hoard them and not let my brothers touch them and, and, and uh, pound on them if they got too close to my, my collection, it had really, without me knowing it, uh, it had become a real idol to me. It had become something that I couldn't get enough of. No matter how many I got, no matter how many good ones I collected, how many great rookie cards I, I came across, I always wanted more. Maybe you can relate to this rich man. You've seen your family torn apart by greed. I'm sorry, this, this young man here, uh, as, as he's fighting with his brother about the inheritance, maybe you've seen that in your own life. I know I've seen it in many cases after someone passes away, the the tags have already been placed on the possessions long before the loved one is gone. The fights have started. The lawyers have been called. Money can bring out all kinds of the worst in us. And so Jesus exhorts the bystanders as well as his disciples. In verse 15, he says, Watch out and be on guard against greed. Greed, covetousness, the want of something more. It's what Puritan Thomas Watson described as an insatiable desire of getting the world. It's interesting because very few of us actually think that we're greedy or struggle with this. remember hearing a pastor say that in all his years of ministry and all his years of counseling, all the people that he'd had come into his office, he'd heard all kinds of confessions, marriages that are in trouble, confessions of infidelity or pornography, uh, discussions about struggling with anger. He said, you could list 
all kinds of sins. But he said, in, in all my years of ministry, I, I can't think of one person who's ever come to me and said, Pastor, will you please, please pray with me? I am struggling with greed. You see, it's not something that is readily visible to us, especially in an affluent culture, in a society that has so much. This man, as he comes to Jesus, is so wrapped up in his possessions, in his stuff, and getting stuff, that he's completely oblivious to what Jesus has been saying. His only concern is how he can get some of the cash that he thinks is due to him. And Jesus says, we must be on guard against this. It's in the heart of every man and woman to want more, to not be satisfied with what we have, whether it has to do with our health, whether it has to do with our job, our home, our car, the, the, the stuff surrounding our hobbies, what have you. It is, it is our natural inclination to say this is not enough. It started in the garden, really. Adam and Eve, looking at God and hearing the whispers of Satan, said, you're not enough. I need something more. You're holding back on me, God. Greed gets at the heart of not believing God is good. And so Jesus said, be on guard against greed, covetousness. Verse 15, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. More stuff does not equal more satisfaction. It does not make your life better. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Isn't it interesting that Hebrews 13.5 quotes that, that precious truth that I, I love to claim. I think most of us love to claim that, that Jesus says, I will never leave you or abandon you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. That is a wonderful truth, is it not? To know that God is not going anywhere, but notice what he ties it to in the same verse. Keep yourself free from the love of money. Why does he remind them that he's never going to leave them or, or leave us or forsake us in the same breath that he says, keep yourself free from the love of money? Why, why are the two connected? Because he knows that the pursuit of stuff, the pursuit of more, the, the heart of greed, well, they're not satisfied with the presence of God. For those of us who battle greed and covetousness, God is not enough. That's why he brings the two together. He says he's never going to leave you. He's right there. He is enough. He's more than enough. And what Jesus does here is, is what he does so well. He illustrates a truth with a, a story. So verse 16 says, Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. This, this, this man was a very successful farmer, and God had blessed him greatly uh, in his fields and in the work of his hand. Well, let's just note a couple of things. This is just a reminder that material wealth is not necessarily a sign of God being pleased with you. The Scripture tells us that God allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Sometimes really ungodly people have a lot of money. All you have to do is look towards Hollywood, and you'll see a lot of unhappy people but a lot of very, very rich people. Material blessing is not necessarily a sign of God's being pleased with how you're living. And, and note this, um, the, the problem was not that the man's fields prospered. The problem was 
with his heart, as we'll see, and what he did with that abundance. It's not wrong to be blessed with financial resources. The danger is your view of them and what you do with them. And so it says in verse 17, he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? He had more than he needed and was faced with a dilemma. Most of us in this room, if we're honest, we face this same situation. Just like very few of us think that we struggle with greed, very few of us, actually, if, if any of us, believe that we're rich. Even though everyone in this room is wealthier than about 98% of the, the world's population, very few of us are like, yeah, I, I have plenty. I, I'm rich. We, we are doing well. Maybe not in comparison to our neighbor. Maybe not in comparison to that business owner that seems like they're super successful. But most of us have everything that we need and more. I have a sneaking suspicion, myself included, that most of us don't feel the weight of this parable because what the rich man decides to do seems to make a lot of sense to us. <laughs> he says, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. His attitude towards his wealth would have flew in the face of normal cultural expectations in that day. He would have been expected to help people out. He would have been expected to bless those around him. But for us today, I wonder if, if many of us read this parable and we're like, I don't know, it seems to make sense. Like, he didn't have room for his stuff, so he got more storage units. He built bigger barns. He, he added, added more space to contain his stuff. I mean, that makes sense, right? And Jesus here wants us to see that this is the wrong perspective on our money and on our things. Notice as he's talking, I don't know if you heard it, but there were five my's and six eyes. Eleven times he referred to himself. He was utterly preoccupied with his stuff. And what he was going to do with his stuff. You see, really, that, that gets at the heart of the issue. You see, we're, none of this stuff is ours. None of the things that we have belong to us. It's God's. It's his. This, this man didn't understand it. He saw it as belonging to him. And he got to decide what to do with it. perspective was, hey, I can take it easy. I can eat and drink and I can enjoy myself. I can coast. I, I've got all that I need for myself. Again, I, I think part of when we read this, we don't feel the weight of it because we're so inundated with that same message. Like how many of you in setting up 401ks and your retirement plans have heard these kinds of lines uh, hey, listen, you'll be able to retire early. You'll be able to just take it easy. You'll have all that you'll need. You'll be able to go on these trips. And life will be great for you. Jesus said that shouldn't be our perspective toward our stuff. What can I do for me? What can I do for myself? And this man 
He totally missed the point. And so God enters the scene. This is the only parable that I know of that this happens, where God inter- intervenes and speaks directly to the main character of the story. Verse 20 says, God said to him, you fool. Called him foolish for this way of thinking. You fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? My brothers and sisters, God has called us to be the right kind of rich. Not as this man, the wrong kind of rich. He's called us to have the right perspective on the material goods that we have. The things that we have do not belong to us. They're, they're, they're gifts from God for us to steward well while we're here on earth. It's not about me and taking care of my needs and getting what I want. He makes a contrast now. The, the hinge verse here is verse 21 that kind of connects this with the next passage. He says, so that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So he contrasts storing up treasure for yourself, the wrong kind of rich, and then being the right kind of rich, rich toward God. What does that mean? Okay, if I'm not supposed to look at my stuff and hoard and be overly preoccupied with gaining wealth and building wealth and sitting on wealth, what's the alternative? And he says here, be rich toward God. That's an interesting phrase. What do you think he means by that? I was really puzzling over it. And then, you see, most of, the, most of our Bible sections here will we'll cut it off at the end of verse 21, and then verse 22 starts a new section. And in fact, most of the commentaries do the same thing. They said, okay, now Jesus is moving on to another topic. But notice verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you. Now, I, I thought this was clever the very first time I've heard it, but I know it's overused. And so, um, if you've never heard it, though, tuck this away, because this is, this is a really helpful Bible study hint. And if you've heard it a million times, then that's fine. Just be reminded of it. But there's a, there's a saying that goes, if you see a therefore, look and see what it's there for. If you see the word therefore in the Scripture, look around and say, okay, what, what, is, what is this doing here? Why is this word here in this passage? And it's here because it's connecting what Jesus is about to say with what he has just said about the dangers of greed. And so he finishes with, be rich toward God. Well, what does that look like? And I think Jesus is going to explain it to us. And I wish, I wish we had time to really dive down deeply into what he's about to say here. You'll recognize this from the Sermon on the Mount and from Matthew chapter 6. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have any storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. 
They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adored like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, O you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all of these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't think that what Jesus just said here is disconnected from this story he just told. I believe the two are brought together. What does it look to be, what does it look like to be the right kind of rich, to be rich toward God? Well, this first thing I wrote down is this utter dependency upon God. The rich fool had created this life built upon a false sense of security. He depended upon the fruit of his own hand. In contrast to that, we're told in these verses not to worry about even the smallest minutia of our physical life. I mean, this is so hard. Is it not? I am not I'm not up here saying like, listen, I've got this all figured out. If you just come out and hang hang out with me for the week, you'll see a perfect model of this. I struggle with this day in and day out. I've got a family, I've got four kids. One in college, one getting ready to go to college. Cars that break down. Uh, property taxes to pay. Like, like, I struggle with this. And Jesus says, listen, don't worry about the day-to-day details of life. I have to think there were people in that crowd that were looking each one, at each other thinking, is this guy off his rocker? That, are you kidding me? He says, listen, I take care of the birds. I clothe the flowers. Do you think it's too hard for me to take care of you? You who are fretting over your retirement plan, you who are building bigger barns. A couple years ago, I had a chance to go to Israel and... um, the, the hillside where they're pretty sure Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount overlooks the Sea of Galilee, and it's a, it's a beautiful area. And um, our group went out there, and um, we kind of, there's, there's kind of the touristy area, and then you can kind of go off by your wayside, and we kind of went, uh, went away from the area. And we, so we were just kind of really out in this open, open hillside, and it was, just, it was just, um, just wide open, and you could look down, and and see some of the orchards, and, and then in the, like a Sea of Galilee in the distance. And um, one of the other pastors who had been kind of heading the trip up, he'd asked me ahead of time if I'd be willing to read the Sermon on the Mount while we had a chance to just sit there and reflect on it. And um, as, as I was reading it, I didn't expect it to, to strike me so powerfully, but um, as I got to, got to what Jesus said about the wildflowers, he, considered, he said, consider how they grow. I'm standing there, and I look down, and I'm, I'm surrounded by this field of wildflowers. Um, 
just beautiful wildflowers that are not, that wouldn't be native to what we experience here. And I'm, I'm looking at this, this illustration that I imagine Jesus was using as he spoke. If he was truly in that same spot looking around, he said, look, look at these. Look at these flowers here. You didn't have to dress them up and put clothes on them. You, you didn't have to take them to Macy's or Nordstrom Rack and, and get them the right fitting clothes. They're, they're just, they're beautiful, and, and I took care of them. And it struck me so profoundly that, that so much of our life is fretting about what to do with our stuff and how to get more stuff and then how to take care of our stuff and, and who to give our stuff to and what to, what's going to happen to it when we go and we just spend so much time arranging and shifting and moving our stuff. And Jesus reminds us, hold on to this loosely. Don't make that your pursuit. Live in utter dependence upon me. Trust me to meet your needs. Trust me to take care of you. A life that is rich toward God is one of growing dependency upon Him, of believing Him, trusting Him, making decisions based upon what He would want me to do with my money and my resources and not what I want. Secondly, a life that's rich toward God is kingdom-minded. He says in verse 31, to seek His kingdom. The Matthew passage says, seek first His kingdom. And these things will be provided for you. Here's what he's, here what he's saying. He, he says, listen, make this your top priority. Seeking my kingdom. The advancement and the spread of the gospel Spreading the fame of Jesus' name. He said, I want you to put that first. Then you'll see all these other things begin to fall into place. I will take care of these other details if you put me first. And it's so counterintuitive. It's so hard to take our hands off the wheel. To not keep that which is right around us like our be preoccupied as our primary center of attention. Jesus says, look up. Seek my kingdom. Seek the, the, the proclamation of my name, the furtherance of the gospel here in this earth. Seek that first, and then I'll take care of these other things. Thirdly, a life that is rich toward God is a life of radical generosity. He says in Verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the, for, give to the poor. I believe one of the reasons Jesus speaks so much about money is because our view toward our possessions reveals so much about our heart. Our generosity reveals our understanding of grace. Over and over and over again, Scripture, I'm not just talking about Jesus' ministry. You, look in, you can do a study this week if you want to and, and, and look up when God talks about money in the Scripture. And over and over again, God says, give and trust me with it. Give richly, give lavishly, give generously and see if I don't take care of you. Again, the math doesn't add up. If I, if I take this Bible and I give it away, I've got... No Bible. That's, that's the math. I've got this, this physical object is gone and it's no longer in my possession. 
God says the math when it comes to giving to his work, to his church, to what he's doing in this world, is, is, it's heavenly math. It's not earthly math. It's you give and you'll be blessed with more. I'll take care of you. It's not give and I've got nothing anymore because it's all gone. In fact, in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10, God even says, and I don't think he says this about any other commandment or any other issue or topic in Scripture. He says, test me in this. Go ahead. See if you can outgive me. See if I don't take care and pour out my blessings on you when you're a radically generous giver. What that reveals is a life of faith, a life of dependence, a life of, this isn't mine. Here you go, God. Tim Keller points out that generosity is at the heart of every single thing a Christian is and does. He says, if you look at the whole scope of everything the Bible says about everything a Christian is and does, giving is at the very heart of all of it. He says, look at faith, look at hope, look at love. Our view of money reveals where our faith rests. Our view of our money reviews, uh, reveals where our hope lies. Our view of money reveals what we love. How about you this morning? What's your view of your possessions? What is it that you're pursuing? God calls us to a heart of generosity. I love this morning that I can, I can preach this message from a place where our church is, is doing well financially. This isn't going to, this isn't going to a begging you for more money sort of a message. I don't have to do that. But how is your giving? How is that reflecting your view of your stuff, your view of God, your willingness to trust God moment by moment? Finally, being rich toward God means treasuring rightly. Verse 34 closes this section and he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. At the end of the day, being the right kind of rich means being rich in Christ. There's a great verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you're, by his poverty you might become rich. You see, our view of our stuff gets right at the heart of our view of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Jesus came to this earth, though he had everything, everything he could have ever needed in the presence of his Father. He came to this earth and became poor by taking on flesh and blood, by living a life of humility, and, and, and by being humbled, Scripture says, to the point of death, even the death of a cross. This verse says that because of his poverty, we have become rich. You see, at the end of the day, the only riches that matter, the only riches that are going to mean anything the day you and I breathe our last breath are the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. I once uh, saw on a, on a pastor's forum or a pastor's site uh, a picture of a U-Haul I'm sorry, a picture of a hearse, and it was, it was hauling a U-Haul behind it. 
And the caption said, well, there goes that sermon illustration. Because you've probably heard pastors say you've never seen a hearse hauling a U-Haul. And, well, there's been at least one out there. But the reality is that nothing in the contents of that container, even if they went into the casket, even if they went down into the earth with that body, (laughs) they're still in that earth. They're still with the decaying bones of that body. The only riches that we can take with us beyond this earth are the riches that we find in Jesus Christ and the souls that we point toward Him. Is that your passion this morning? Is that your heartbeat with your stuff? Do you, do you, are, you, are you able to let go so that Christ may be treasured above all else in your life? Let's be the kind of people who are the right kind of rich, or rich toward God. In fact, this morning we get to celebrate communion together. We get to celebrate the Lord's table. As we think about His poverty, Him giving up everything, and hanging upon that tree, that cross, for our sins. We're humbled this morning. I don't know about you, but I think about all that I have and all, that, all this stuff. And I can't imagine it just saying, I'm giving it all away. Here's, here's all my stuff. Just put it out by the road. Anybody who wants to come can, can take it. Here's the keys to the house. Spiritually speaking, that's what Jesus did. He, he gave up everything so that we could become the right kind of rich. And he went to that cross, and he bore the shame and the humiliation of taking our sin upon him. His body was broken and his blood was shed for us. By God's grace and goodness and power, he didn't stay in the grave, but rose again three days later, conquering sin and death. This morning, we get a chance to celebrate his poverty that made us rich as we take communion. I want us to just take a few moments here to just bow in silent prayer and worship, to just express what God's doing on your heart, express gratitude for what Jesus has done. In just a moment, I'll, I'll pray for us too. And um, you can, if you haven't had communion here before, just, just come on up out of your seats and uh, come to the front. There's, there's uh, bread and, and juice. And then here in the center station, um, there's also a, a uh, tray that has gluten-free bread if, if you need that. And um, there's also some baskets at each of the table. And that's for a benevolence offering. If you feel led to give over and above what, what you normally give to the church, this, this goes towards helping those in our, our church family that are experiencing some need of, of some kind. Let's just take a moment and and bow in prayer as we worship God for his gracious gift, his lavish generosity for us.
Our Heavenly Father, most of us, if not every single person in this room, whether we are willing to admit it or not, have more than we truly need. It's unlikely that any of us ate the final scrap of food in our cupboards as we headed off to church this morning. It's unlikely that any of us had to walk here because there was no transportation whatsoever available. And Heavenly Father, you know my heart. You know how easy it is for me to complain. I can often be the first one demanding fairness. Why can't you give me that, God? Why can't I have more of this, God? God, awaken our eyes to greed. Reveal if we have a spirit of covetousness. I have no doubt that there are many in our midst who have a, a very good perspective on their possessions. And have come to a place where they are so near to your heart on this matter. I, I pray that they would, they would teach us more and show us more how to, how to live that life with an empty hand, uh, open hand to you and honoring you and, and giving you of the first fruits and, and just saying it's all yours, God. What do, you, what do you want me to do? I pray, Father, that we would have the right kind of view of our treasure, be the right kind of rich that being rich in Christ would be our priority. That having hearts of lavish generosity would be a second nature. God, teach us to pursue your kingdom above all else. And then receive with gratitude what you give as we trust you. Show us how to live in that radical, moment-by-moment dependence upon you, God. Not on the the work of our hands, not on the fruit of our efforts, but to trust in you and you alone. Father, as we celebrate the crucified and risen Savior, our, our Savior this morning, we thank you that we have participated in the riches of his poverty. We thank you for his body being broken for us, his blood being shed for us so that we might live, so that we might become rich. May you be pleased with our worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come.
your time. Why don't you pray us out, buddy? Let's pray. God, we praise you for all that you do for us every day. So much of it we forget. So much of it we take for granted. Come this morning, Lord, to praise and worship you, the author and the finisher of our faith. To praise you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from my sin. And Lord, as we as we go from this place, as we fellowship together with some coffee and donuts, we pray that we try to get to know one another, let people know that we're here, let people know that we love them, and we care for them, and that's your will, Father. So be with us as we uh, dismiss this morning, and it's in Jesus' precious name. 